When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. I doubt I know everything that happened after he left. Michael, before this happened, was one of like the kindest people that I really knew. Michael King, who's been on the lam for two years, he's trapped, he's got nowhere to go. He took what that guy did to him personally. There is something that happens to your brain when you're on a mountain for that long. That's a perfect recipe for just like a total paranoid cocktail. There was speculation that Jeff was using LSD to try to control people and to uh, try to manipulate people in his own power, trying to make kind of like a little cult. Have you used LSD? Yes. Yeah, did you ever use any of Jeff's LSD? Yes. But I mean, was it normal LSD to you? It felt weird. Tainted. And I saw Jeff down on the ground and Kane goes over and stands on top of him has his knee on his chest and takes the knife and sticks it in his throat. Kane said this is for selling bad aerosmith. I'm Sam Anderson, and this is the Emerald Triangle. Chapter 7, Hill Crazy. Out of everything I've heard in the police tapes, Zach's account of what Michael Kane tells Jeff as he kills him This is for selling bad LSD. Maybe the most haunting line of all. Because this is something a person says when seeking revenge. But what did Kane want revenge for? Was Jeff literally selling bad LSD? Because even if he was, that hardly seems like a reason to kill someone. I knew the next piece of the puzzle would be figuring out what happened that summer on Jeff's farm before Zach and the others got kicked off. And to do that, I needed to speak with someone who was there. So I reached out to Yasmin, Jeff's friend who I interviewed in Oakland, and I asked her if she knew anyone I could talk to. And Yas came through. I was on the property a week before it happened. This is Aaron. Jeff was like a really important part of my life. And in a time when I had nobody, bro, I'm talking no one. I still do say that he was my best friend. In the early summer of 2016, Aaron was casting around for work in Laytonville. I needed some help, and I reached out to him. And he was like, you want to come out here? And I was like, I'd love to. He goes, where are you sleeping? you have a vehicle? And I was like, yeah, dude, I got a a 23-foot RV. And he goes, I got the big bed. (laughs) So Aaron drove up into the mountains to help out on Jeff's pot farm. I've been a number of properties, and that was a very hard property to be on because there's no electricity, there's no running water. Luckily, there's this well that was built by Wells Fargo in the 1800s. You gotta go walk down this like crazy old fucked up road to get to the well. I asked Aaron who else was up there working when he showed up. It was just Jeff and then Gary Giggles. We knew Gary very well. 
Giggles was one of the guys who was up on Jeff's farm the night he was killed. He's in the police tapes. He had a debt that he had to pay off. He hadn't paid it off yet. Jeff gave Gary a thousand bucks. And Gary was supposed to go somewhere and do something very specific with that thousand dollars. And he went and he bought like an ounce of cocaine and took some chick up to Oregon and disappeared for like three weeks. And then ran out of money and ran out of cocaine. And then called Jeff being like, hey man, I'm sorry. I bought cocaine and was hanging out with this chick and <laughs> I'm out of money. Can you come get me? Oh my God. And so Jeff went and picked him up and Gary was there working off his debt. He was not allowed to leave. for harvest season is hard and everybody who lives there is stressed out because the plants and cops and thieves it's kind of a weird place to be that time of year and then there's the rain every pot farmer's worst nightmare it causes mold which can destroy your crop everything's going to get soaked things are going to start to rot so jeff had a limited window to get all his plants into a dry place so we're harvesting all day long into the night, and now it's starting to rain hard. And we have to get the plants in now. We have to stay up all night long and take these plants down. This was hard physical work. The rain is pouring down, there's mud up to your ankles, not much food to eat, and very few warm, dry places to sleep. I wondered how Jeff got his workers to do this for days on end. He gave everybody some LSD and we all stayed awake and just worked all night long. So he would use it as a tool to keep people working? Yeah, totally. We would eat it all together, and it would be like this like team-building exercise. And then on top of that, he would always eat more than everyone else, so that way he felt like he was more in control of the energy. I can't help but think about like in the 70s when the like, cult leaders would like give everybody acid. Charles Manson shit? Yeah. It's similar in the sense of you're like you're using LSD to like control people. He was really good at controlling a situation, and he would use the LSD to do it sometimes. You know. As the rains continued to come, Jeff was becoming more and more desperate to get the rest of the plants down before his entire crop was ruined. We were harvesting, and it was raining really bad, and we had so much weed that we had to dry the fucking weed in the hoop house. Aaron says Jeff tasked another one of the workers with building a hoop house, or a kind of greenhouse made of tarps. Normally, you wouldn't store weed in a hoop house, but Aaron said they had so much weed that summer, they ran out of places to dry it all. And the way he built his hoop house, it collected water in the tarp. And as it collected water, the hoop house collapsed. And like 100 pounds of weed got swished into the mud. Fuck. It was a massive loss. That weed could have sold for up to $200,000 on the street. Just saw the fucking, the weed all swished into the fucking mud. He's like breaking down crying. And then he goes to his backpack, he pulls the bottle of concentrate out and he squirts it down his fucking throat. Oh God. When Aaron says concentrate, he's talking about a bottle of liquid LSD. One drop is like, you know, 10 hits. So Jeff squirting it down his throat is the equivalent of taking hundreds of hits of acid at once. That was his solution to this, like, mental trauma of seeing 100 pounds of weed, everything we 
car smushed into the mud. He was depending on it in a way. Oh, dude, totally. I mean, I love Jeff to death, but he wasn't using it the way it's supposed to be used. And I feel like that has a lot to do with the untimely demise that he met. So Aaron also thinks LSD may have had something to do with Jeff's murder. I decided to tell him what I learned from the police tapes about Jeff's final moments, according to Zach. There's videotape of Zach going up to the hill with the cops, and he explains, you know, what happened. And um, he describes Kane kneeling over Jeff and putting the knife in his neck. And then Kane said, this is for selling bad LSD. That was like what he said to Jeff while I was killing him. Okay, so... And even I had my own speculations. Because there was a lot of bad rumors about Jeff, man. There were a lot of people that hated Jeff. Because there were, there were some fucked up stories behind him, you know? And uh, the brutal truth was fucked up. What really happened, the way we really all went down, it was all really, really messed up. So what happened? You still there? was dropped well that was weird I can't tell if that happened on purpose or if it just fucked up but I was kind of like getting to the heart of it all and then the call drops and he maybe got sketched but one thing we know is for sure clear which we just learned which is do you want like the real story like the brutal truth as he put it so there is a version of events that I feel like people don't know about and I feel like I was really close to getting it Ah, but we're just going to have to put this on pause for now and see if he hits me back. In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch involved in a then unheard of secret organization called the Illuminati and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes. I waited by my phone for Aaron to call back. But the call didn't come. I thought back to the story Jeff's dad told me about the suit he bought for Jeff's funeral. How it mysteriously had Jeff's initials on the inside pocket. I had to consider the possibility that Jeff Seller himself might be interfering with my investigation from the grave. Everybody I had spoken to so far said Jeff was a great guy, the victim of a robbery gone wrong. But I knew there was something else going on up on that mountain. For the first time, it felt like I was getting to the core of why Jeff was murdered in such a brutal, personal way. That's when I tracked down another one of Jeff's workers. Hey, what's going on, dude? How are you doing? Hey, how's it going? Not bad. Just been trying to freaking get some work finished up for the day. This is Kylan. And back in 2016, he was training to be a paramedic in his home state of Colorado. I decided pretty quick that I absolutely hated it. I made a mistake in my career choice. Kylan had a friend who was about to head out to California to trim weed. I was like, oh, that kind of sounds like an adventure. So he quit school and headed to Laytonville. And like the other trimmers who came before him, Kylan drove up the lonely dirt road into the mountains to Jeff's farm. The 
as soon as I got there, I realized it was a sketchy situation. Talk a little bit more about that feeling like that was sketchy when you showed up. You could kind of tell that Jeff was like an old school. I guess the best way that I could put it is if you imagine someone that was like in the mob, but a hippie, <laughs> <laughs> just like real long hair, wearing tie dye shirts. But the kind of person that if you screw him over, he's going to like go burn your house down like that kind of vibe. But I was like, well, I already dropped everything and I'm here. So I was like, as long as everybody can just kind of leave me alone and let me do my own thing, I was like, I'll stay. So Kylan found a quiet spot in the woods and set up his tent. I had a little field that I was taking care of that maybe had like 100 plants in it. And then I'd just come back and water at night and then uh, eat a little bit of food at the main little pub that everyone got together at. And that's when Kylan met Zach. I love Zach, man. He he was so full of life and just this guy that seemed like a lot of really bad stuff had happened to him over the past couple of years. But just overall, really positive attitude, fun to be around. He had like his little DJ thing that me and him actually rigged an old solar panel that we ripped off of this one of those uh, RVs that was there. We, we, we stole that solar panel and then we wired it up to this battery so that me and him could like plug in his computer and uh, his little DJ stand. Oh, nice. So that was fun. You know, like me and him just, we'd freaking be out in the middle of the woods and we'd just be like playing music and having a good time. I loved this image. Zach and Kylan in the middle of the woods, DJing, dubstep or EDM music. It made me think of Zach's Ringwood days and how his friends told me he was obsessed with music festivals. It was almost like he couldn't stand the idea of not being able to go to festivals, so he brought his own setup in the woods to create a little escape from whatever sketchy vibes were happening down at the main camp. Yeah, Zach is, uh, I just got really good energy from him. There's this one time that everybody went into town and they brought back like a handle of whiskey. I like to drink. I like to have beers and drink whiskey and stuff like that. And I was like, yeah, give him some of that. And I take a big old swig. Little did I know that these guys put like raw LSD into the freaking whiskey. I didn't tell me about it. Oh shit. Next thing you know, I am higher than a kite. And once I realized that I was starting to trip, I kind of panicked a little bit. Panicked a little bit. Was Jeff taking acid too? Oh yeah, man. I've never seen someone eat so much acid in my entire life. Jeff couldn't afford to pay us or to feed us or anything. But for some reason, this guy always had a bunch of raw L on it, all the time. What do you mean by raw? Raw, it's like, so before people break it down into the liquid, it's a crystal. Jeff was in possession of a crystal rock of LSD. It's an incredibly concentrated amount of acid. One gram is equal to nearly 10,000 doses. Kylan said Jeff didn't have any cash to pay his workers, but a crystal of LSD would have been worth more than $10,000. And having access to this much acid is a pretty rare thing. Was he making it? He wasn't making it, but he knew a guy in San Francisco if he was driving down there to pick it up. <laughs> he'd bring it back and he'd just have a bunch on him. Do you ever get the feeling that Jeff was involved with, like, other criminal activities? Oh, for sure. I mean, the guy got his money from illegal drugs. <laughs> 
So it seems like Jeff was selling LSD for a supplier in San Francisco. And Kylan confirmed what Aaron told me. Jeff was giving it to a lot of his workers to keep them going. Jeff was really kind of the guy that, like, when something needed to get done, he just did it. Like, he, it needed to get done now. I don't care what time it is. So what he would do is he would just, like, feed all of his employees a bunch of acid and stay up for, like, three days doing these big projects, like putting up a fence or fixing a road. Oh, my God. Just working for three consecutive days? Yeah, like, really high on acid. It was definitely the kind of vibe that was like, you guys are going to fucking work or I'm going to kick you off the hill or whatever. What Aaron referred to as team-building exercises was starting to seem more like forced labor. According to Kylan, the drugs, the endless work, and the lack of sleep were starting to take a toll on people. Gary, uh, I don't know if you've heard of him. He's talking about Giggles, the guy who was paying off his debt to Jeff and couldn't leave the hill. He had like red curly hair. Uh, freckles. He always wore these big farmer glasses. He was having seizures all the time. Oh my god! And, and I kept telling Jeff, I was like, "Dude, we got to get this guy to like the hospital because he's not okay." Whoa! Weirdest thing I ever saw was we're all sitting around this campfire one night, um, and all of a sudden Gary comes up and he's got this big old thing of gasoline. Yeah, he, he comes up and he puts this thing of gasoline next to the fire. And we're like, okay, that's weird. What's going on here? And so Gary starts grabbing all of his stuff. And he comes up and throws everything into the fire. And he doesn't say a word. He's got this look in his eye, like, just a crazy look. And, uh, and so he's throwing all this stuff into the fire, and we're trying to stop him. And he tries to start pouring this gasoline on himself right next to the fire. Oh, my God. And so we had to, like, literally freaking tackle him, take the gas away from him, and, like, freaking hold him down so this guy doesn't light himself on fire. Holy shit. When that happened, I started kind of thinking that I needed to get the hell out of here. That was the moment that I decided that I was over it. I was like, I've had enough. And Kylan wasn't the only one who'd had enough. The guys from back east, Zach and Michael Kane, were also at the end of their rope. Jeff was being like super paranoid and thought that they were literally like trying to take over his hill and like cut him out of it. Jeff thought that they were like trying to get this uh, mutiny together. And so I think he was just playing it over in his head. One day he was sitting in, in his chair and then he was like, he had this weird look in his eye. And then all of a sudden he just gets up and starts fucking screaming at everyone. And then he's like, I know fucking people in Hell's Angels. And I'll get all those guys up here to freaking get you guys the hell out of here. Get the fuck off of my hill. I'll have you all killed if you don't leave right now. And all of a sudden, Jeff just kicked everyone off the hill. Conditions at Jeff's farm were going from bad to worse. If there was a time for mutiny, sounds like this was it. Michael Kane's friend Brian said that Kane changed during his time on the hill. But now, I'm starting to realize that Jeff changed too. This vision for the idyllic hippie compound Yasmin talked about had become more and more like Lord of the Flies. And then, a couple days after my dropped call with Aaron, the other worker on Jeff's farm. Hello. Hey, how you doing? Um, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing good. He called me back. 
There's like a couple of specific things I wanted to talk to you about, like folks who are up there who have become more interesting to me. And I kind of wanted to get your take on some of them. Amanda's in the mix. Now, this may seem out of the blue, but I was referring to Amanda from episode one, the only woman on the mountain the night of the murder. She'd opened the door for the guys who attacked Jeff. And from reading the court transcripts, I also knew she had driven off with Zach with a lot of Jeff's weed in her car. And it turns out that Amanda was Aaron's girlfriend. She's a very beautiful woman, and there's not a lot of those out there. They're very valued. Aaron became suspicious that Jeff was trying to steal his girlfriend. Ah, man, Jeff had a reputation. There were several times when I caught him, like, you know, just I'd catch him checking her out. And I was like, yo, dog, what are you doing? That's mine. What are you looking at? You know, you know, we don't roll like that. We're not those hippies. And then he had her take him up to this house and they got drunk and didn't come back until fucking 8 a.m., 9 a.m., still fucking hung over. And I'm like, what the fuck? This was the last straw for Aaron. I was like, hey, I'm going to take your car and I'm going to go into town and I'm going to find us a new job. And at first I was like, come with me. And she was like, no. I was like, oh, you're not going to come with me? She was like, nope. I knew when I was like, hey, let's leave this place and go find another job. And she was like, no, I'm going to stay here. I knew there was already something with her and Jeff. I knew it right then and there. I've heard that she was messing around with him and Zach, so... We can't be certain about this, but it got me wondering if it is true. My question is, was jealousy over Amanda part of the motivation for Zach to help form this plan? It's possible. What about Kane, though? I think he was probably the one that killed him. You do? Mm Mm-hmm. Why do you think that? I think he had a lust for it. For violence or? For taking it from Jeff. Taking Jeff's power. Um, and and not, not just that, because like anybody that got used by Jeff, I don't know. I think we all have a sense of wanting to take our power back from him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you can do that in many different ways. And I think, yeah, the most extreme way to do it is to just take his life. And I think that's kind of what happened there. I think uh, I Kane kind of felt it a little more than the rest of us and decided to make it reality. Aaron thinks Kane killed Jeff, but what about the others? What was their motivation that night? Did they go up there just to get the money and everything went wrong? Or did they go up there to kill Jeff? No, they went up there to kill him. They were telling people in town that they were going to go kill him. I've talked to people in Laytonville at the bar that were saying that they were at the bar talking about how they were going to go kill him. Why did they want to kill him? Because they felt cheated. Next time on the Emerald Triangle. This is Global Tail Link. You have a prepaid call from an inmate at California Healthcare Facility. 
There's absolutely nothing that indicates I had anything to do with it but the broken lies of Zach Wooster. Crooked City, The Emerald Triangle is a production of Truth Media in partnership with Novel and Sony Music Entertainment. The series is written and reported by me, Sam Anderson. Our senior producer is Joe Wheeler. Our producers are Alexa Burke, Lee Meyer, and Zach St. Louis. Story editing by Mark Smerling and Austin Mitchell. Our assistant producer is Sasha Baker, with additional research by Ivan Devoin. Scott Curtis and Sheree Houston are our production managers. Fact-checking by Dania Suleiman. Mixing and sound design by Joel Cox, Rich Evans, Daniel Kempson, and John Scott. Our title track and additional tracks are composed and produced by Robert Quijano and Christopher Rose, with additional production by Nicholas Alexander. It was engineered by Peter Oviat and recorded at Moonflower Sound Studio in Taos, New Mexico. Additional music from Marmoset and Epidemic Sound. Development by Willard Foxton, with special thanks to Indira Bernie, Max O'Brien, Sean Glynn, and Matt O'Mara. Also, special thanks to all the studio musicians at Moonflower Sounds. Continue the conversation with us online by tweeting at Crooked City Pod. If you've enjoyed the Emerald Triangle, don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find the show. And thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>